It could be worse. It could be the Rockets. Well, or the Reds. The Reds. <laughs> uh, right now, I don't think the Knicks could beat the Reds at basketball. We are back for another edition of the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin, joined as always by my lovely co-host Andy, and we have some more special guests today. We are joined by the dynamic duo, the host of the Going in Circles podcast, Barry Spears, the sniper, and Chuck Simon. What's up, guys? Tapping. Everything's good. <laughs> the second there, I thought they left. Like after after talking smack about the Knicks, Chuck was like. I'm outie. I paused I because pause. I, I thought maybe, maybe you know, Barry's got a cool nickname. Maybe I need a nickname. I was going to say, I was going to say the I super would... sniper or the anti-sniper or the... The bomber. The... There you go. The mad bomber. Really, my <laughs> first question was going to be, Chuck, what is your nickname? What can I call you? We need oh, a nickname. God, I, I've, been, I've been named so many things that it's just like, and most of them are derogatory, but it never really bothered me that much. I told Barry when, when I played basketball in college, I know people have a hard time believing this now, but I had a lot of hair <laughs> and I, I had, and, um, they used to, the, the brothers always used to call me surf boy <laughs> because they, uh, I looked like a guy that would be surfing. And, um, I know that, like they said, you look at me now and it's like, he looks more like a whale than a, than a surfer, but. It's got to be a natural nickname, right? I mean, it's got to flow. You can't force it. You're not supposed to give yourself a nickname, you know? Right. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to get you a good one. How about the Brit? Seeing how (laughs) the what? I still don't understand how I thought you were British. Like for the long Brit, yeah, two years. I'm like. Chuck Simon. I've never understood that. <laughs> That's very. Uh, I'm like the least British person in the world. I wouldn't drink tea on a bet. <sighs> now, when I was in high school, I was named. I in in junior high, it was Sam the Eagle because that was when, um, the '84 Olympics were in Cal in Los Angeles, and then in high school, I was Squid. And in college, when I played soccer, I was called El Condorito, which was the condor. Okay. So you've had a lot of... Oh, wait, 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 wait. So, like, Sam the Eagle, the, the Muppet? No, the mascot for the L.A. Uh, Dude, have you seen the nose? Have you seen the nose? Nah. I have a monstrosity of a nose. <laughs> I thought it was Sam the Eagle, like, the the... The Muppet, you know, the blue Muppet that looks like Drake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Like, who, who are the Muppets? Of course I know who the, who Muppets, the Muppets are. are. I'm young, not born in the 2000s, though. Oh, true. True, true, true. Um, so we got, so Chuck and I were talking yesterday because of the three-year-old discussions. And I'm of the, and I used to be the idiot who would say, oh, this is a horrible crop. Three weeks into the Derby campaign going, this is awful. This is the most, this is the worst crop since last year. And now I've come to the conclusion that I wait a couple of years to say whether or not it's a bad crop or not. So 
I text, I text Chuck and I go, dude, I, you know, it's like death taxes, people talking out of their butt about bad three-year-olds. And Chuck's response was, well, I'm the idiot that did that. And I'm like, well, I have too much respect to call you that. But what makes you the idiot could be my nickname. This crop, this crop based on thoroughgraph figures isn't very good, right? No, this crop was bad last year, which was which was one of the lead-ins why this might not be a great crop this year was that the horses last year, I mean, if you look at the juvenile, and I understand that like the juvenile isn't the bellwether race for uh, the Derby Trail, right? I mean, we've had a lot of horses that that run in juvenile that, that kind of don't pan out, but um, you, you look at that race and it didn't look strong the day of the race when Jack Christopher was scratched and you watched the race and you went, watched it go slower than um, the Phillies race. And there just wasn't anybody, at least in my eyes, that I looked at the race and I was like, wow, I can't really wait for them to be, um, you know, blossom on the Derby trail. It looked like a bunch of horses that were just, and a, and a lot of it was the racing style. I mean, it was a mile and a 16th, Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and there was literally no speed in the race, unlike, you know, the year before where Jackie's Warrior got, you know, burned up on the lead in the Juvenile. There was very little speed, and it was a bunch of just dead one-run closers. And nothing against them, but one-run closers win two-year-old races when the races fall apart. Um, and that's what happened a lot was the, the pace horses weren't that great, and races would fall apart, and... I just didn't have a lot of respect for this group coming into the year. Um, and nothing that I've seen, you know, this year really has changed that. Um, I think that there's some promising horses, but, you know, it's March and the Derby's two months away. And a lot of these horses, they've run once. They haven't done anything, right? They've, they've basically won a race, won, you know, uh, the Chad Brown horses, they're going to have one or, you know, they'll have two starts going into the Derby, provided they, uh, you know, run well and progress. Um, uh, just there's so many of these horses, they just don't have any that many starts. Emmanuel, who is, you know, one of Pletcher's kind of sneaky horses, right? Um, the horses, it, it's 60 days from the Derby, and he hasn't run in a stake race. I mean, he's running Saturday. This is his first race. This is his third race lifetime. So he's only going to have four races going into the Derby. At, at most and i mean it's hard to really build up a resume and to to really see the strength in a crop when no one runs and, and i think that's been a pet peeve of mine um for years because I, like i've said a uh, hundred times and i'm sure people get tired of it but we have 150 years of, of, of derby history and horses that are fresh don't win it and like barry and i talked last night and you know like Barry said, he goes, well, we might get to a point where every horse is coming in fresh, so someone's going to have to win it, which, which is true. I used to tell people, I go, if Kelly Kipp, uh, you know, who was a famous sprinter when, when I was with Frown Jerkins, I said, if, if we ran him a mile at, at like, uh, um, Portland Meadows, he could get a mile at Portland Meadows against those horses because he'd be so far ahead of them the third time around the track, it wouldn't have mattered, right? But he's not really a mile horse. Well, it's just like the, the, the rebel, right? Someone was going to win that race, but man. It's hard to look at that race and look at those horses and come out and say, wow, these are like, you know, 
that this was a good race. I mean, it just it looked weak going in, and it looked weaker coming out. Yeah, I'm I'm actually on the same page there. Uh, I, I think the only horse that really kind of has caught my attention is Epicenter, and that's fairly recent. You know, I thought the horse was good, but, you know, he's, he's kind of come into his own over his last couple of starts. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it's, it's really like a toss up. I mean, you still could get somebody that's, that's probably better um, that hasn't stepped up to the plate yet. And that's, that's kind of what, you know, the last few years it's been that way where we're kind of like waiting, hanging out for a horse. I mean, the Baffert contingent, has always been speedy and doing their thing out in the West coast. Um, and then him shipping over, you know, to, to Oakland to take some of those races. I mean, but you know, on, on Saturday, his horse just didn't run a step. I mean, I don't know if it was a track or whatever, he just didn't run. And, and, and the whole race just fell apart and you get a 70 to one winner. So, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, the race ended up being a bad race and you're not going to get much out of it. I mean, unless Oho shows a lot more because he, he was second to, um, I forget the name of the horse in, in at Aqueduct and that was a slow race. So it kind of looks even worse now that that one won uh, at Oakland. I mean, that, that, really downgrades the rebel in my opinion at least right now i'm definitely in agreement um i i said the same thing as when they were two-year-olds even with jack christopher in the mix i was like ah i just i'm not crazy about this crop and even move or moving forward now i think it's almost worse I'm with you, Barry. Epicenter is really the only one that has caught my eye so far i've been looking at emmanuel who's going to be in the um fountain of youth this weekend, I think he could potentially be a pretty good type. But other than that, I mean, I went as far on Twitter the other day to say if they entered, you know, Phillies, there was one or two that qualified for the Derby this year. Um, I think we'll have at least one or their triple crown nominated, which we have plenty of them that are triple crown nominated. I went as far as to say, I think they could beat the boys in all three legs of a triple crown because the possible. <laughs> Because these Colts are so bad this year and the Phillies are so good. I mean, if you look when they run the two prep races, whether it's the day apart or the day of, they're at least always a second faster. So they're way better than these Colts are. And I mean, you and I, I mean, Caitlin and I were having a discussion um, a couple weeks ago in regards to Shahama, Mm -hmm. who's running in Dubai, right? She's, She's a half to looking at Lucky, and she looks like a Colt. She's just a, she's just really green. And we were talking, we were talking about well, we'd like to see her run in the UAE Derby, but it's conceivable they might ship her out here and run her against the boys later on in the year because why not? I mean, the boys don't look that strong. I'm in agreement <laughs> with Epicenter where I think Epicenter, the fact that he bucks a trend of being on the front end at fairgrounds and you see no one coming at him late is scary good for, for a horse like that. But then again, it's fairgrounds and it's early. It's not like, it's not the, it's not like, you know, the Louisiana Derby. 
So that that's the only that's the only thing I'm worried about. The only thing I, that that bothers me is if they don't run the horse. <laughs> yeah. If they try to train up to the Derby or something crazy like that, which is kind of the trend, that would be more alarming than anything else. But I mean, as of right now, the the race, the Kentucky Derby itself looks like a really chaotic race. Well, the one thing that Epicenter has that is a trait of a lot of derby winners is he races. He races mm-hmm. at the end of December, the end of January, February, March. He races. And, you know, I don't like using the B word because people like freak out lately about it. But <laughs> the one thing that, that Bob Baffert has done uh, and I understand he has a luxury of, of, you know, a deep lineup, right? It's not like he's got one horse and he's got to baby him through because that's the only one he's got. But his horses come to the Derby prepared. They've been through the battle. They've raced. They're fit. He doesn't run short horses. And freshness in a mile and a quarter race like the Derby means you're not going to be fit enough. And... um it just it's just the way it is. And I understand the point where sometimes a trainer gets a horse and they just want to make it, right? They they want the owner to experience it and they just want to make the derby and they're thinking to themselves, well, I mean, listen, if I'm in it, anything can happen, but I, I really don't know if this horse is good enough. I could understand why you would take the tact of yeah, yeah, once we have qualifying points, we're just gonna train them up to it. But it's just not gonna work for the most part. And and uh, that's the one thing I, I don't like epicenter's breeding. To go a mile and a quarter. Um, I don't know what kind of pace scenario we're going to get. I mean, we haven't seen uh, the crazy paces in the Derby that we used to, but um, at the very least, he's racing and, and he's he's going to go into the race, especially if they run him back in Louisiana Derby, which is what a mile three sixteenths. Um, he's going to be fit, and that's you know that to me is a big factor. I just I'm, I'm baffled sometimes that guys want to try to run horse in, in in the Kentucky Derby with light preparation. I mean, like, I, and I, I I talked to these guys myself, and I said to them, I go, show me a horse that that had light preparation that did well. Well, justify. I said, yeah, justify ran in January, February, March, April, May. <laughs> you know, like you 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 your horse ran in November, uh, uh, February, and, and April a lot of gaps and it's a difficult race. I mean, that's the thing is people say, well, it's, 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 it's not, it's not just another race. There's no other race like it. It's a mile and a quarter far. First of all, there, we don't have any other mile and a quarter races for three-year-olds, right? Like, is there a, a, another single dirt race going a mile and a quarter for a three-year-olds at any time during the year? No, I don't I think there is. Story. I don't think there is. So, uh, it's another thing. It's, it's early in the season, right? It's in May. It's not, uh, like in the fall, it's, it's early. And the other part about the Derby that isn't like any other race is all the other things that are attached to the Derby. It's not just the Derby day. It's training leading up to it. How often is your horse going to have to train um, and deal with the chaotic backside scene every single day? at Churchill Downs with helicopters flying over cameras everywhere, people everywhere. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, in Churchill Downs is a backside that there isn't a lot of quiet space anyways, but you know, Derby week, there's none. 
There's always people there. There's always things going on. It's loud. And that plays a part in, in the, in it too. And that, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a difficult race to win, but I can't express to people enough that whatever you think of Baffert is fine, but there's a formula for winning races like the Kentucky Derby. And one of the key factors is your horse comes in battle tested. But I'm, so the one thing, the one thing I will say about Baffert, right. And this is just from, from my long, my long time being in Southern California and all that. And that's the fact that he trains them hard. And so when somebody tells me, Oh, well, so-and-so hasn't trained well, or, you know, they only need a, a, a month to get fit for Baffert. No, that's not true. For Baffert to get a horse fit, if he's not going to run them, he has to train. He needs to at least have anywhere from eight to 10 works before the horse is even close to being fit. So there's no way he's going to be able to get a horse fit enough to run and then turn around and run in, in the Derby. If he hasn't shown on the work tab. That's, and that's if, if you consider that, consider that he's working the horses hard in between racing yeah. and he's racing him. Yeah. So that that's something that for whatever reason, and I, you know, it's it's hard to train two different ways, right? I mean, people have have a, a training method that works for them. Uh, obviously, it, they have a successful method if they have a derby horse or or a number of derby horses, but it's not the same. Your tactics under normal circumstances aren't going to work for this race because it's just so much, it's such an outlier, um, you know, just such an outlier. And I always, uh, I always, always, always found uh, Jude Feld, Jude Feld used to have a horse named Kappelmeister and his best distance was like two. And I really wish the, that there were two mile races in Southern California that were great at stakes because he probably would have won a few. But Jude would run him in the San Juan Capistrano to get him ready to run in the Asta La Vista at Turf Paradise so he could win the Asta La Vista. Mm-hmm. Just so he could have black type. And it's like, yeah, New York used to have a couple of those real long marathon dirt races in the wintertime. And, and the funny thing was they were always good races. And for whatever reason, I, I, they just stopped. They stopped filling, and um, you know it's, it's it's kind of a shame because uh, you know San Juan Capistrano was it's like it's like the last one left, right? What was the other race in California? It was real long. Yellow Ribbon. Oh, that was Phillies, uh, wasn't it? Yellow Ribbon was the fall. Oh, in the fall. oh yeah, that was in there was another race, not the San Juan Capistrano. It was uh, San like Louis the race. Tokyo City. San Luis Ray. San Luis Ray. Yeah. You know, when like I was Tokyo young. Tokyo City. Tokyo City. San Luis Ray was, was a mile and three quarters. And I think the, the, the San Juan Capistrano was two miles. That's when I was, was young, young. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. But back then, we didn't even, we never saw races in California. The only time we ever saw races from California was when. Um, it was on like Tuesday recap show where they would show the stake race from all over the place. Talking about the yeah, one I used to remember seeing Chris it on Lincoln. ESPN. Yeah, Chris Lincoln on Chris uh, Lincoln. Yeah. yeah, Kayla don't know who that is either. Nope. <laughs> no, Chris Chris Lincoln was the Chris Lincoln was one of the <laughs> nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. Like a genuinely nice guy. Like, I've met a lot of people 
in my life that are famous that act like they're nice and then they're really kind of douchebags. But um, <laughs> Chris Lincoln was he, he was a really he was just a really nice guy and he used to have a show on Tuesdays yeah. and he he had a recap show and they would show all the state races from all over the place and I mean this was before full card simulcasting so when when you went to the track you had whatever nine races they were running at your track and that was it there was there was no other races you didn't bet anything else and, and, and you know once in a blue yeah. moon you'd get that nugget where they'd simulcast Nairo that I used to remember when I was a kid uh you know at Rockingham and they they simulcast the stake race from Saratoga every every day you know it was the ninth race on a 10 race card and it'd be the simulcast of whatever you know Saratoga stake it was and that was it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, unless you were going there and we'd never see the form for the for those oh races. no no it was just the the numbers <laughs> the numbers to jockey no program, we would never just see a it. standard issue program numbers. yeah we, we wouldn't see the racing form because that was a west coast edition they had west coast midwest east coast vegas South. vegas edition yeah so it, it was uh yeah that was it, way before caitlin was even born so it was crazy there <laughs> i mean i wonder if caitlin knows the 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 big newspaper version of the form uh, I mean, yeah. that long ago I, I think when my daughter was little it was still around yeah it was like the regular the regular version right it was a regular size yeah mm-hmm. not a tabloid the one you used to put in your back pocket or in the back of your jean jean belts right yeah and, and get like the ink all over your yeah. shirt yeah yes the black ink would be all <laughs> over everything because they used peanut oil was that re- the, the reason? Yes. You know where I read that from? No. Playboy magazine had an article about the daily racing form. Oh, come on. You told me. So you bought Playboy for their articles, right? Come on, man. Okay, no, but I read the article. <laughs> <laughs> but you did read the article. I did read that article because it had to do with horse racing. Uh, getting, getting to, uh, you know, betting and all that let's talk before we get back to the other subject barry sniper spears congratulations sir uh caitlin already said it i'll say it now man that is a that is a nice gig you got with tampa yeah you know major racing day you know kind of get myself out there so it, it should be fun um working with everybody over there jason beam ren carruthers Margot Flynn, just, you know, and, and, and Margot was uh, doing the paddock analysis at Rockingham Park when I was a kid. And then she did it over at Tampa when she moved out there and, you know, just, you know, continuously crossed paths and, and here we are. So are you going to be the new Shades play of the day or? I am on, <laughs> I am on Tampa Bay Derby day. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do after that, but, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of things kind of going on. You're like a full-time gig. Yeah, we're getting there. You were solid with TVG. We're getting there. There's there's some stuff in the works. I can't really go into all of it, but, you know, we're working on it. Caitlin, do you have any, like, tidbits you want to tell him now that you guys are cohorts and compadres? (laughs) (laughs) Um... 
I would always say probably my best piece of advice would be to always be prepared. And I am a huge note taker. I don't know about you, Barry, yeah, but I'm, I come I'm crazy with it. <laughs> I come into a card with like pages upon pages upon pages of notes. And I remember Joe Christofek when I started uh, working with Churchill Downs, he was like, oh my God, this is so much information. I was like, but I need all of it because I don't know what parts I want to talk about. So I want to have like backup information. And like, I, I just go like way above and beyond for that. And it's maybe not super necessary, but it works for me. And one of the other best piece of advice is, and I think you did so well with TVG that you probably don't even need this is. Thank you. Never when somebody throws it back to you or you're like answering a question, never say like, yeah, and then go into it, just go into it. And, you know, that's even more important, I would say, than like the ums and the uhs that people are worried about. Like when you go into a type of a question, don't be like, yeah, and then keep going or like say, okay. And just like, it's a segue, it's a crutch. That was yeah, one thing I really had to like, it's, it's just something, you know, that, that in normal speech, you know, talking to somebody, you know, people do anyway. So it's, it's kind of hard to break that habit. Right. And I'm I with you. <laughs> do it and it drives me nuts. And you, and you both never have to worry about this. Chris Griffin used to tell me, like, I need more energy. I need more energy when I used to do <laughs> stuff. And even like when I did panic, you have to be excited about telling them. And it's like, okay, well, I just want to spout off all the information I know. Like, right. I want to sound smart like Chuck. It's hard to do. I Chuck know. would definitely curse if he had that job. <laughs> it would it would just come out. I know it. Uh, can you believe this effing horse? Oh, oh, sorry, guys. Uh, this fine horse I meant. <laughs> I can't believe I effing bet this horse last time out. Chuck, the mic's hot. Oh, sorry. You know, you know, it's funny, just a quick story, and, and this is actually not, has nothing to do with horse riding, but it's about cursing on the air. And um, my cousin by marriage is a NBA executive, and he was a coach for many years. And he may have, I don't know, it's between him and Jimmy Toner is people that can curse the most in a, like a regular sentence and have it sound normal. So he, he was in between jobs. He, he had got fired from his job as coach and ESPN brought him in <laughs> and they tried, you know, they had him on the morning show. Then they had him on the afternoon radio show. Then they had him on the sports center and this and that. And he cursed like three times <laughs> and he finally uh-huh. just told him, he said, listen, I can't help it, man. You, you'd have to completely redo me. And, and uh, I, this just isn't TV just isn't for me. And, and and that was his uh that was his one day tryout and uh, thankfully they had everything on a delay so they bleeped him out but um you know some people Jimmy Toner I tell you Jimmy Toner is a is an expert curse we have very very good we have when when the Arena Football League was in its heyday and they had teams like in New York and Miami and all that um, ESPN came to do a playoff game and they had mics all over the all over the field and this we all walked by them and just started f-bombing everything just like <laughs> we'd walk by test test f this test this f that and the espn guy said the espn guy 
came up and said, you guys can't be cussing during the game. That's like, are you kidding me? It's like every two minutes is going to be a cuss word. You might as well just take the mic away from us. I, I, I you uh, know HBO had that show um, that <laughs> remember the show HBO had. Uh, they were following the hockey teams up to the first edition of the outside game. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They, they did uh, the uh, the Penguins, and 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 it was funny because if you watched HBO in the in the morning or in the daytime. They bleeped out all the curses, but if it was like after ten o'clock, they didn't. And I was shocked at the amount of abuse the referees take. Like they had like Sidney Crosby and a couple of these guys mic'd up. They were just abusing these guys. I mean, like cussing them like dogs. I'm thinking if they did that in basketball, they'd get they'd get a month suspension. Just kind of crazy. So since we're on on curse stories, uh, my brother-in-law was on Sports Center. Uh, a few years back, he coached a, a lingerie football team, and he went on a like a, a tirade <laughs> for you know a good couple minutes. Um, and I actually sent it to you guys. I sent it to you in the, in, in DM. Um, but yeah, he went off. I mean, just absolutely went off. You gotta watch that video I just sent you. I used to. I- I cannot believe I'm going to say this. I used to do statisticians for the LA Temptation. It was an actually statisticians job. <laughs> you got to tell me what the LA Temptation is. It sounds like a strip. Sounds like a yeah. Or it's a, a lingerie <laughs> football league team. Ah, lingerie <laughs> football. Yeah, I don't know how he got into that. Yeah, my buddy just was like. Hey, I'm running the Laundry Football League stats, and I'm out here in Chicago. And can you do the one in L? Can you do the team in LA? I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> At the time, I was single, so it didn't really bother. It wasn't like a big deal, right? So uh, now I probably wouldn't do it. I would definitely not do it. Okay, let's. Get- I have to be honest. I, I I don't I don't like envy you guys because that's a tough position. Uh, I mean, I don't give out. I don't show people my tickets ever because I'm superstitious. And I, I, I just, to me, um, I know a lot of people on Twitter, their, their egos get fed by, by posting winning tickets and, mm-hmm. and bragging and this and that. And they, you know, they never post the losers, but um, to me, like it's enough to just, you know, we win money when we do well here, right? When our opinions, right. We actually get paid. It's not like, you know, uh, Hey, uh, no, uh, we're playing tennis or something against each other, but um, yeah, like you guys have to, you have to pick a race or you have to, you have to handicap a race, even if you don't like it. Um, even if like you wouldn't bet the race under normal circumstances, you still have to give selection because that's what they want you to do. And, and of course there's going to be people that are going to try to pick apart everything you do, but oh, yeah. you know, you guys are both prepared and, and like, I know Caitlin said she's over prepared. So, you know, you got to just kind of let it. There's always going to be haters. I mean, we know that, but I always feel especially bad. in this industry. I always feel bad because, like, I like I would get the I would get them doing the SHRP stuff sometimes. And I'd be like, OK, toss. I'm not even going to acknowledge it. I'm just going to delete it. But I could just imagine what Caitlin gets. 
Barry, I think I think I think you're too. I think everybody loves you so much. Not to say that Caitlin is. <laughs> I just think there's a lot of trolls that want to just like. Oh, well, they're they're out there. Trust me, they're they're out there. Trust me. Right? So, yeah, Ace Ventura, but, the pet detective. He's trolling yesterday. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, to me, it it just shows how whomever that is doing the trolling just doesn't understand this game because mm-hmm. you know most of the time you're you're gonna be wrong. And and you know my philosophy is a better is when you are right, make them pay. That doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but when I'm right, I'm going to be right. And they're going to make, you know, I'm going to make them pay me for it. So, you know, that's why, you know, those people don't understand the, the whole concept. And, and it's, not, it's a little bit deeper than just, you know, picking the top three horses sometimes. I mean, yeah, that, that's cool. And, and, and we're going to be doing that sort of thing, but, you know, there's, there's also that next level of constructing a bet or, or even, even choosing which bet to, to make in a, in a particular race. There's so many options, you know, and that's, that's kind of one of the things that I, I have a lot of trouble with is trying to figure out which is the right bet to make to maximize profit. And a lot of that gets lost when people just kind of, oh, well, you, you don't pick winners. Yeah, I don't pick winners. You know, most people don't. I mean, you, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody picking winners at a, at a 30% rate. I've always been of the opinion that, and this is going back eons ago, you could be, you could be two type of, of handicapper. The one that gives out winners at a 30% clip, which means you win three out of nine on most days. And are all the horses that you pick are are underlays, and they're not going to return a profit. So why even bother winning at thirty percent? Are you or I'm of the Curtis Crayon, who used to be a handy a public <laughs> handicapper for the Times in Los Angeles, who would pick some astronomical some of the. I would always be like, what the heck is he doing? And then the horse wins at a hundred dollars, and then he's up for the entire meet. Right? It's like. He'll find that one nugget. He may he may hit a ten percent for the for the entire meet, but he's up two three hundred dollars because of the of the one race per day that he's hit. Right, and that that's kind of how I kind of got into that mentality because I played tournaments. So in a, in a tournament situation, you know, betting chalk and favorites gets you nowhere because, like you said, you get you know uh, a chalk that pays four dollars to win another one that pays $4 to win. And then you get a six to one and you're down, you're losing, even though you pick two winners and it's not a picking winner contest. It's a profitable contest. It's, it's about picking the right winners at the right price. And that kind of overflowed into, you know, my, my play when I go to, you know, um, multi-race wagers, anything like pick three, pick four, pick five, you have to kind of figure out ways to deviate from the public. That's the only way you're going to get paid because if everybody bets the same thing. Nobody's getting paid. I always, I always go to it. Like, um, I think Caitlin, you saw the ticket I posted the other day, but um, I singled a horse that ended up paying like $16 to win that just looked like it should be like two to one. And I get seven to one. Uh, so I played a pick, I paid a pick three for like two bucks and it pays like a thousand. 
Right. You know? I and mean, that's it, it's, how you want to do it. That's exactly how you want to do it. I mean, that that ticket I had, um, one of my biggest ones with uh, Bobby's kitten. I singled Bobby's kitten, and he was eight to one. Yeah. I mean, it's just he's my single on a twenty-four dollar ticket that didn't cost me much. Yeah, I mean, uh, but see, a lot of people are, a lot of people listen to a lot of, a lot of people listen to a lot of talking heads, thinking that they need to play big tickets when they can play small tickets and still make a profit. And I was one, and I, and I was one that used to be that way. So. I will I will take that as me being well, irresponsible too. I think it's it's kind of the learning curve though. I mean, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't think there's anybody on this planet that can just kind of pick up a racing form, understand what the bets are, and just start making good bets. It it's it's a losing and learning process. And once you get that down and you understand the nuances and you, and you find out things along the way, I mean, it happened for me. I mean, it, it, you know, when I was a kid, I had no idea. And then how things progressed and now where I'm at now is, is 20,000 times better than I was when I was, let's say, uh, you know, 20 years old. So, you know, I, I think that's part of it. And, and that's how you develop your style, your, 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 you know, bravado as a, as a, as a player, because, you know, you have to have a certain mentality. I mean, you can't be afraid to lose. That's one of the things that um, I, I always tell people is you can't be afraid to lose. You're going to lose more than your win, but when you win, you got to make them pay. And, you know, I, I've been saying that time and time again, and it's just, you know, there's, there's another level beyond the selections themselves that, that kind of has to get out there. And I think people are kind of yearning for that sort of um, thing. They're not getting it in certain places or not all the time. And, and you get the, you know, the horse player gripes and you see it all the time on Twitter. Um, you know, so that's one of the areas myself that I'd like to focus on, you know, as I get deeper into this kind of thing, um, if I can, you know, where, where I'm able to give some advice and, and, and kind of lay things out in a, in a certain way, um, you know, it, it might help some people down the road or, or give them a little bit of, of knowledge. I mean, I gained that knowledge myself. I, I remember being at a, a tournament at Churchill. Um, I was speaking to Brent Sumja, and I just wanted to listen to everything he said because I, I, he's, he's a fantastic better one of the best betters I've ever seen. And not many people, you know, know that, but I absorbed everything, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit in, 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 you know, instilling a lot of confidence in, in the way I play and, and what I'm looking for. Um, but it, it's just a lot of that. And you have to be a sponge. I mean, I, I don't like to turn down anything, anything anyone says, because, there could be something I can take from it and incorporate it in my own handicapping, which brings me to another point where people need to be flexible. You can't just stick to one way. You got to be able to, to adapt and be dynamic and, and, and kind of do a little of everything and, and know when to push the right buttons and when not to. So it's, 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 a, it's definitely a, a game that requires a lot of patience, time, effort, the whole nine. So getting so, uh, Caitlin, 
Mm-hmm. I know you've been part of the, you've been, you made a comment. I haven't seen Barry or, or Chuck make a comment yet <laughs> on the whole Jonathan Stetton article. Um, but where are your thoughts on that, guys? I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys have discussed it on yours, and I'm a week behind on your podcast. I apologize. I was saving it for my trip. Oh my God. When I drive, I'm driving oh, to Kentucky, so I'm driving to Kentucky, so I need some list. I need to hear some stuff. So I figured okay. that would be a good time to. That's fair. Um, I think what people have to realize that the graded races are not mandated by any authority other than the TOBA, the Thoroughbred Owners Breeders Association. Um, they ba- It's basically their opinion. And they have these mathematical, nonsensical figures that they use to cover themselves. But they can pretty much do whatever they want. I mean, it isn't like it's a state regulation and this race has to have this in order to be this and this and that. And I, I mean, they can, you know, they have their rules that if a race is taken, uh, a surface change, right? So if a turf race is taken off the turf and running in the dirt, it's an automatic downgrade. But then they have the ability to vote on it within five days and restore the original grade if they feel um, it deserves it which seems bizarre and in the case of like the american oaks wasn't a grade one race on the turf (laughs) at least it wasn't a grade one field but i digress on that but um it's just i mean this is a scenario that i I can't understand why the greatest states committee didn't have a clause that said oh in the case of the trainer that won the derby the year before and got a positive and then got banned um, and then, like, this will happen. So, and, you know, my, I'm not a lawyer, but if, if I looked at it from a legal sense, I would say that the horses aren't necessarily um, being discriminated against, only it's by, by the trainer who trains them. But that's not really the qualification of a horse. Um, and horses are, are, transferred from barn to barn to barn every single day um they're they're sold they're you know owners move horses from from one trainer to another so it's not as though the horse there's not a, a way of getting um there's not enough there's not it's not as though the horse is being discriminated against because he's too good for the race he's being quote unquote discriminated against because he's in the barn of a guy who's barred from the properties of the people that own the race. And Churchill Downs owns the Kentucky Derby. It's their race. I mean, that's something that people forget. They own the race. They can do as they choose with that race. Um, so I think it's a whole lot of, of, of bluster, pretty much about nothing. Because let's face, you can take the liberal um, interpretation of that and say, okay, yeah, the Derby is, is not allowing these horses and so it's it's it should be restricted therefore it should lose a grade blah blah blah. we know that that's never going to happen they're not they're never going to vote the kentucky derby not a grade one race and and you know i was even thinking about today um knowing that andy was going to probably bring this up 
Who's to yeah, say well, that I mean, those horses are better? Like Newgrange was better than all these other horses, right? Before Saturday, well, Sunday morning he wasn't better than any hardly anybody. So, like, how do you determine who's better and who's not better, anyways? That's my question. Well, my my biggest my biggest issue to it, and you know, he asked he flat out asked me. He goes, "Well, if you had a horse like Messier, and you only had one option to run him in the Santa Anita Derby." and you didn't get the points, and you didn't get in. And I'm like, dude, I would never put it to the point to where he's got one race to get in. That's, like, stupid. It's, like, so stupid to think that my horse is going to be good that day. You don't know if that horse is going to pop an abscess. You don't know if he's going to throw a shoe. You don't know if he's going to come up with a fever. You don't know if he's going to bleed. I mean, there are all these what-ifs. Why are you waiting? Why are you putting it all on one day? That's they I have just, had, they have had since June or July before many of these horses even debuted, that they knew Baffert was going to be banned, that they would have to have another trainer. So I don't like, I don't feel sorry for these people saying, "Well, we're being discriminated against because Bob can't run." No, Bob can't run, but it's not the horses that are being discriminated against, and that's what people are not grasping is that these horses are not ineligible. Their trainer is ineligible, so they therefore will have to switch barns. But you had ample time to switch these barns. Yeah, so at knew. this point, you're staying with him. In, you're staying with him in defiance, hoping that the rules will bend for you. And well, I don't mean, forget. Caitlin, first of all, I want to say. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, don't forget that everyone who's nominated to the Triple Crown has signed a contract with Triple Crown Promotions, which is the three racetracks. Um, it's a signed contract. You you put money up. You have to sign it. That's a contract. They are saying they will abide by the rules, and the rules are very very clear. Yeah. So that is my one question about. Uh, there was kind of a talk this week about owners trying to get an injunction. I said I don't know that owners actually have a standing in that they have a contract with Churchill Downs through that Triple Crown nomination that they said they would adhere to the rules and now they're trying to get out of it and right. might a judge not say you can solve your own problem here you're, you're saying you're being you know like having bob baffert as your trainer is not a right it's not yeah. a right it's not a protected class of, of person um it's not a protected you know right it's it's he's, he's not allowed at the track currently so why why would the owners right to choose whoever they want supersede the tracks um property rights and it you know it won't but you know you never know what's going to happen and, and when you go into court you never know what kind of uh judgment you're going to get but but in the end like the owners have no excuse it's if their horses miss out if they really don't want to run in the kentucky derby or as it looks like the belmont because uh, Naira hasn't made their official ruling yet, but or the Preakness. It's it's hard to believe that um, that uh, Naira is is you know since they said they were going to base their uh, their ban of Baffert or their suspension of Baffert on the Kentucky Horse Race Commission ruling. Now that that ruling has come down, it would seem that Naira is going to um, uphold their own ban on him, which would mean that he wouldn't be able to run in the, the Belmont as, as well. The Preakness he'll be able to run at as long as he doesn't have to serve the 90, as long as he still has the 90 days 
uh, suspension on an injunction or on a stay uh, because it would be very strange for um, Stronic Group to allow him to stable at one of their tracks and not allow him to run at their other tracks. So uh, assuming that he, he'll be able to run into Preakness if everything, you know, if he doesn't wind up having to do the 90 days, which I'm sure they're going to get tied up in court for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, I've, I, that's true. I'll, I'll tell you guys off air who sent me a text message, but um, basically they told me that in, in no uncertain terms, they personally don't even, aren't even pointing for the Derby. They're pointing for the Preakness because they're well aware of the fact that they're probably not going to be able to run. And they're waiting for the Baffert Invitational at Pimlico. And that they feel that the suspension probably will take about three to five years to be fully solved based on the way things are. Um, so, I mean, it's just one of those things to where I personally, regardless of whatever the case is, CDI has every intention of not honoring it. They're well within the range. KHRC has already voted, said that they cannot – there's not going to be a stay on the suspension, all of this stuff. So now he's got to go through the legal system. But that's how he's gotten away with this all this time is the legal system. You're correct. Oh. That, then that, that's why he's, in, he's emboldened to try this. And, you know, he's got lawyers that are making tons of money because he's probably got that uh, the guy that gave the interview there paying the bills. So the lawyers are just ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. I mean, it's 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 just a a, a goldmine for them. I mean, but it, it's and this a, is not a complicated. And this thing is, this is not a complicated case. I mean, this is is you know, there there's not a lot of complication to this case. They may try to make it out to be, but there really isn't. Oh, so I mean, you know, the idea that this popped. is ever going to be seen by the Supreme Court is just laughable. But um, he got popped. That's plain and simple. The, the, the idea that this is a witch hunt, that, that's, that's another kind of, uh, you know, the only thing, the only thing that, that seemed like a valid concern um, in the lawsuit filed against, uh, I, I can't even keep his lawsuits straight, but <laughs> the fact that the one steward is an employee of Churchill Downs, um, Tyler, and to me, this is a reason Barry and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were talking about stewards. Stewards shouldn't work for the racetracks anymore. That it just shouldn't happen. Uh, there's just too many. I mean, there's really no excuse for Heisen not to have taken on uh, the regulation of racing on the racetrack, as it's it's probably the most um, visible function that, that this this people could do i mean right it's 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 something that we all see that everyone from betters to, to, to owners to trainers to people in the barn uh fans you're seeing the races on the track and how they're adjudicated and what what happens what kind of suspensions jockeys get and and here and there that that's something that we're, we're all aware of and we all see and it's a very tangible thing and why they decided that they'd rather worry about nonsense um, in, in some occasions, and, that, and I'm not talking about the drug regulations. Of, of course, I understand why they're doing that. But some of the other stuff, it's just kind of like fluff. And this is something that would be a much better situation if we had a central authority 
that the stewards all worked for, were trained by, were, ju- were judged, were, were uh, you know, they were graded. Um, and we had clarity and all the racetracks um, rules were the same. So that we didn't hear this nonsense we always hear in California. Oh, well, in California, you're allowed to do this and this, but you're not allowed to do this and this. And it, it, that's very difficult for a person sitting at a, at a racetrack or a simulcast center at, at their house, betting on multiple tracks, seeing races judged differently. Um, that's, that's a, to me, that is one of the hardest things for anyone in this business to explain. Why is this this way in, in one place and, and not this way in another place? And I mean, that to me was was like a layup, but they, you know, let me, they let didn't me want to do question, it. Right? You get you get multiple betters, right? I mean, California doesn't. California is a little bit more, I would say, lax in the ruling um, compared to other tracks. I think some places allow herding, other places don't. Other places allow for you to dump somebody over the rail. And other places, it just depends. But I mean, if you're a better, you have to knowledge. You have to already know that going in. Like you have to understand that. Like, no, but you're not going to like it. It still feels. It still feels like certain jockeys get away with a lot more than other jockeys do, and certain certainly certain jockeys don't get punished as as, as bad as, as other jockeys. And I know Paco's got a. A, you know a bad reputation and and he has done some you know he he's taking it to extremes at cases can, but there's situations now where the light blinks for him and it doesn't blink for other jockeys and, yeah. and i mean that's just but i mean at the same at the same token i mean you and i you and i are probably about the same age i might be older than you um but we're both of the same age to where you grew you had the call the new york colony and the florida colony i had the santa anita colony where justice was dispatched differently than it is now right i mean if you go back and and watch the races from from the 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 80s the 90s even even the early 2000s just watch the breeders cups watch the big races guys ride straight great no hurting yeah, there's no the hurting just doesn't happen other than rare occasions, and it used to be relatively easy to tell when a horse was going to come down or not. Now there's so much hurting in virtually every race that it's just convoluted. The 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 penalty right like is this all right? He hurted him two pass, but the, the the race before he hurted him three pass, and and they didn't take him down. So it just seems so arbitrary, and, that, and that's the fault of the stewards. The stewards let too much go. They don't penalize him nearly strong enough. I mean, we had the Ired Ortiz situation, right? He comes off a 30-day suspension uh, for – there was – I mean, he dropped a bug rider, which was terrible. And almost elbowed Johnny and then, in the face. Right. Then, <laughs> then he played, you know, he was doing the uh, UFC in the stretch <laughs> in the uh, the Remsen, and he got the 30 days, comes back, Gulfstream last or two weeks ago. He comes out on a horse. He looks right. Comes hits the horse left handed. Comes right out. Bangs the horse. They take the horse down. The stewards don't give him days. He's coming off thirty days. Like that is the type of a situation where he's supposed to get a, a, a harsher penalty than than no penalty. You, do, you know, you lose the benefit of the doubt at some point. And 
and it's and it, he did it again this past week, and then he got the days. And I'm not just just harping on him because the fact of the matter is, uh, I mean, we used to worry more about jockeys not trying to win than trying to win. I mean, he's trying to win, but it's the same logic of if if the cops were never going to give you a speeding ticket, would you ever follow the speed limit? I mean, you would just go as fast same as you want. Same thing with. Same thing with Baffert. It's the exact same thing. If you've never been made to have a fair punishment for stuff, why would you not, you know, try to bend? Well, you know, the, the, the idea that the Kentucky Horseman's Commission is somehow biased against them, he got a positive in the Kentucky Oaks and they gave him no days. They let him off. Less than six months later. (laughs) Right. You know, that was in September. Then then fast forward to 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 May of the the next year. It's so here it's just it's just laughable that a guy that's basically for the last decade and a half has had everything handed to him on a silver platter uh, and it says that he's being discriminated against. You know, it's just Steve Asbuson did six months, came back stronger than ever. And people still go, well, what about Steve? He's been cheating. Steve doesn't cheat right now. Steve ain't cheating. Well, Somebody we, don't, go, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know if anybody's cheating or not cheating because, okay, like, let's just face it, we're, the, the, okay, the authorities if, are, are probably not. I mean, I mean, we can go to the point of the, 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 the positive test that Baffert got for whatever reason is – I don't have positive. any scientific basis, but I, I have a hard time believing that this is – the real issue in, in horse racing. His horses aren't running off the screen because uh, they got beta methadone because lots of horses get beta methadone. It's it's the thing that it's used to inject most horses. So yeah, the but, thing I is, mean, it's been made a mockery of, and that's what the whole problem is. But I mean, here's here's a perfect example of it as we're uh, as we try to put this nice bow on it and everything else. But the mocker the mockery that Caitlin said. If you watch the you if you watch the Saudi Derby, which I know you guys didn't because you guys hate Saudi Arabian racing, right? That horse rebroke, not once but twice down the stretch. And you're going to sit there and tell me that that horse was all about fitness. Michelle, you was so off base on that, but yet it was all about fitness. Yeah, it's it, it's gotten to be where I think the TV people are in a tough position because. Um, they're not, remember the, the producers are the ones that are their bosses. They're telling them what to say more or less, or what you can say, where you can go with things. And TVG especially has shown that they do not want any, anything controversial. I mean, they won't even get sued. (laughs) They won't even say that, you know, the, the Derby prep, you watch Saturday when the San Vicente, when they're covering the fact that a Baffert horse winning it earns no points won't even be mentioned, which is just, you know, I mean, like, who doesn't know this at this point? It's just regular news. It's not controversial anymore. I mean, you guys, you guys, have lawsuits all over the place about it. It's not like it's not known and, and you're not really discriminating against or, or talking bad about something. You're just pointing out the facts, the facts of the, the race. You can't tell the story of the race with a Baffert horse winning a derby prep without mentioning that he gets no points for it. Because if you do, you're just not telling the complete story. So it's laughing. One of the last questions before whoever was just talking. Do you die on that hill that Stetton is on? Hell no. Nah. What hill? <laughs> the hill of 
there should not be a graded race. Hell no. That's, nah, that's absurd. That's... that's absurd, man. I mean, you know, it's, <clears throat> I, I understand, you know, it, it, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt because he does want to get traffic onto his site to see his articles, stuff like that. So that factors into it. Um, but it wasn't a completely off base kind of question. You know, the wording as, is the as wording a question, very, right? Yeah. It's very poorly worded. I think that was more of it than anything else. Um, I think the defense you know, of it is worse, right? Right. Yes. Yes. I feel the same way. It was like, yeah, I just put it out there, you know, see what people were going to say. But that wasn't the angle, you know, when, when he actually talked about it. So, right. And remember, this, year, this year's race is already great. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. The race. So, this would be next year's race. That, that would be affected because once they've already determined that this race is going to be whatever grade it is this year, based upon previous years, it wouldn't matter. And again, it's, it's like if, if we decided to have our own rankings, right. And we, we went around and us Ford voted on, uh, we're going to call it the, you know, the, the, the goat rankings, right. So we're going to give races, uh, A, B, C, or D's. Well, those are our rules. Whatever we want to make them, they are. Uh, they're what we say they are, right? That's the same with Toba and the graded stakes. I mean, they are what they say they are. There's no, you know, you can't, like tracks, if they get downgraded, they can't sue. You know, they can't say, oh, our race was a good race. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, I can't believe you downgraded us from a grade one to a grade two. So uh, it's going to hurt our business. So we're going to sue you. They can't do that because they're not, they're, it's Toba's ratings. They can make them whatever they want to make. That's the thing is it just, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't have to buy, they don't really answer to anybody. So. I guess what I don't understand is when I, and I read the article, I had responses to it. And let me just first off say, John and I have worked together in the past. I respect John. And if I'm being honest, I think it is, has a lot to do with traffic. I don't think he really believes this, but when we were talking about it and he was like, well, there's a condition now that Bob Baffert is excluded from those two races. And I'm like, there absolutely is not. I was like, and I'm not saying this, you know, because I am employee of CDI. I'm saying it because it's common sense that it's not just the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. Bob Baffert can't enter a horse tomorrow on Wednesday at Turfway Park. It's got nothing to do with the fact that it's just the Derby and the Oaks. Yes, those are the races that the positives did come in, but he's banned from the whole shebang. Not even just Churchill Downs. It's all of the tracks. It's for two years, so it's it's not just the Derby. You would have to downgrade everything because he's not every every right, every race run at a Churchill Downs track. The the Risen Star would have to be downgraded because Baffert wasn't allowed to be in it. I mean, it's just it's just silly. It's it's just not going to happen. And it, it like if it wasn't about the Derby and about Baffert, like it would have gotten no play at all. So yeah. So what what? As we close out, what ter- what in case we don't talk to you guys before, I don't know May first. Um, what what derby preps are you guys looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Tampa Bay Derby because I'm going to go heckle Barry when he's on the air. <laughs> <laughs> ah, stole it. That's what I was going to say. I was going to heckle myself. 
I, I honestly, I have a, a, a pretty nice bet on Classic Causeway in the Derby at 40. What did I tell you? 53 to 1? Yeah, 43 Something to one. like that. that is so so that, that's what I'm interested in. I also have all Phillies at 40-something to 1 from the serious? first pool. Yeah. That's going to be a lot this year. There is yeah. one horse running tomorrow that if he runs big, I'm going to kind of keep my eye out on him. And that's a Pletcher horse called Swing Shift. Hmm. Okay. And where's the Pletcher horse that uh, that that ran into the juvenile, the, the maiden? He's I've seen he's been working, but I, I he hasn't. I haven't heard or seen any plans for that horse at all anywhere. Because there is no plan. Yeah, yeah I don't know what happened to all the horses <laughs> that came out of the juvenile, but well, they, uh, cor- well that I think was funny because. Like, oh, I wrote Corniche. on a, my little my little <laughs> news letter last week about Corniche and how he was like equine witness protection, right? He's like, how often have you ever seen a two year old juvenile, an undefeated two year old juvenile champion trained by a guy like Baffert, just disappears and doesn't do anything, doesn't work, doesn't isn't pointed to anything. There's no plans. Uh, it's just the it's just bizarre that that no one. I guess maybe everything else is just kind of overtaken or overshadowed that, but. Uh, I can't ever remember a juvenile champion that wasn't injured uh, or wasn't hurt that just got less um, coverage or play or, or questions or talk than, than this horse does. I mean, he's at Windstar and I mean, there's no plans for the horses, at least no public plans. And it's just bizarre to me that, that no one's talking about the horse. He's not hurt. They say he's not. They, that's what they say. <laughs> well, that's, that's what Hanging they say. Out right. no, nothing's ever been announced. Well, then what he, what's he doing there? Hanging out. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And that's, I mean, there's there's all kinds of rumors about him in, on the bloodstock side, um, but uh, which may preclude him from running again. But um, it's just, to me, it's odd that, that that horse just, he never really captured the imagination of anyone. Like, even last year, he was winning those races out west, but nobody seemed overly excited. Even the West Coast guys, who are usually like fanboys of every any horse that comes out of there, <laughs> they like they just didn't seem all that like they just didn't seem to buy into that horse. And and I guess maybe the the events of the Breeders' Cup opening day with the uh, the turf debacle um, kind of maybe overshadowed the fact that he didn't run a particularly great race winning the juvenile and it was slower than the Phillies uh, and now with all the other nonsense but it's just to me it's it's strange that the horse is just like he's it's like he's just it's like he's retired already yeah Weird. that's what it feels like and you know not to mention Papa Cap has been a complete no-show giant game it's terrible giant game hasn't done anything so that race is coming back as like a like a negative well, key I mean, race. Pinehurst, Pinehurst won the Derby, won the Saudi Derby the other day. Pinehurst yeah. did. He, he got beat here, and then he went over there, and he looked all right. <laughs> looked okay. I think Pinehurst is, is maybe – I mean, I don't know that he wants to go any further than he went the other I, day. I don't know. I, I will tell you one thing right now, and Caitlin might be like, you're out of your mind, but I love the way <laughs> conciliary ran. In, in Dubai or in Saudi. Saudi. I, if I'm honest with you, I didn't even watch that race. 
I can't I can't buy any horse out of any of those races to be honest. I, I, and that's fine. I mean, right now I think I would lean towards Secret Oath before I lean toward any of the boys. True. And oh, it's all because sure. and it's all because of the trainer. I think I mentioned it on a tweet. It's like if I'm going to give a filly for the first Saturday in May to any trainer, it's going to be Lucas. Hey, like we talked about earlier, you know one thing. If Lucas is running her, she's not going to run. She's right. going to be fit. <laughs> she's not going to run fit. She's going to be fit. Lucas would, uh, even in his heyday, he would have horses that would tail off of form and he would just keep running them. And all of a sudden, they'd come back to form. It was the most bizarre thing. You never could really tell, like, with, with Wayne. And Wayne just kept running them. He just kept putting them in. And uh, he doesn't do it nearly as much as he used to because he doesn't have the stock. And, and hell, the races don't come back as quick as they used to either. But uh, the only thing I worry about with that filly is that she's peaked a little too early. That's the only concern I have with her. It's, I mean, on the thoroughbred, she's running really, really fast numbers. She's running fast enough numbers to win the Derby. But I mean, and, can she maintain it for another 60 days? I don't, you know, I hope so. Well, here's, but. but here's the pro, Here's the thing, right? Essential quality was that horse last year, right? He was running godly numbers. Oh, she was, uh, she's, she's a little bit faster than essential <clears throat> quality. Essential quality is running like fours at this point last year. She's running ones. Yeah, but he, that's, that's significantly by, faster. But by the, at, by the middle of the year, he was running negatives every time. Well, yeah, by, by, by the summertime. So, I mean, but go ahead, Caitlin. I, I was going to say, based off what we've seen from the boys, unless, you know, it's going to be Epicenter or some emerging horse we haven't thought of or haven't heard of, is she going to need to run a one? She's going to need to run a one in the derby because you almost, unless you just get the luckiest inside trip that you <laughs> save ground and, and she does get a weight break too. So that'll matter a little bit, but. I just don't know that any horse has ever won the Derby in modern times on a like that didn't run their best race yet. It just horses don't regress and win races like the Derby. It's just too much to overcome, and they have to run too fast and too hard. So, I mean, the uh, other crazy, the other crazy thing, and I know Blood Horse brought it up today, but that breeding of hers is just filthy. Like, put it put it like this: um, like Epicenter is running fives. I don't know what he ran his last race. I'm sure beat five. Probably but five. <laughs> he was before. running fives before that. And she, her, her last two before the other day were, were a, a three and a one. And that's, that's for a Philly, that's like super fast. I think Malathat was running sixes last year going into the Kentucky Oaks. So that, that just kind of shows you how much faster she really is. I mean, and, and listen, she's blowing the fields away. Uh, it's not as though she's winning by you know, a neck. I mean, she's just leaving them in the, in the dust. And I, I'm just happy to see Wayne have some good horses. I mean, this might be his last hurrah. The guy's 86 years old. And, you know, even though for 86, he gets around good. And, uh, you know, hey, he, um, you still play it too, man. Don't, <laughs> don't mess with that. No, it's, uh, you know, Alan Jerkins one time I was out with him and we were picking weeds because we, that was his thing. We'd go pick weeds before feed time. And some old crony of his came out there one day and, and Alan was in kind of a grumpy mood to stay. And this guy's asking him all these questions and the, and Alan's just kind of, you know, giving him the, the, the short answer, you know? So, um, the guy says to him, when are you going to retire, Alan? And he just erupts on the guy and he goes, retire. He goes, what would I do? He goes, 
I've read every book I care to read. I've seen every movie I care to 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 see. I, I've 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 uh, I, I'm too old to play polo. I'm too old to you know what? And he, he goes, "Well, what I do? Sit home and watch The Price Is Right." And the guy's like, "Yeah." He goes, "Everybody I know that retired is dead." He goes, "All the friends, all, all the guys I, I came up with, they all quit and they're all dead." He goes, "And guess what? I'm still here picking weeds for these damn horses. So just leave me alone." And it's <laughs> it's so true, like you know racetrack old old you die in the, you die in the bar yeah yep that's exactly like how Charles. um jack vanberg was i remember it was probably I, I felt guilty it was like a couple months before he died me and i can't remember who i was talking about with we were like they're literally gonna take that man out of the racetrack in a hearse that's exactly what happened yeah i mean it's what when you spend your entire life because the one thing about being a trainer, and even now the modern day trainers, which are more like uh, you know a little more corporate, it's it still consumes their entire life. You still have mm-hmm. very little time that horse racing, in some way, shape, or form, isn't on your mind. You're not having to make decisions. You're not having to make phone calls. You're not having to uh, you know, plot things out. There's always issues. Horses are always sick. There's always injuries. There's always, uh, you know, little issues along the way. And this is a, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not really a job. And, and it was hard for me to walk away. And, and my stable had dwindled to where, um, you know, I didn't have that many horses and it just wasn't consuming that much time because I owned a bunch of myself. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to butter myself up. Right. I didn't have to call myself and tell myself how, how great the horse is training. But when I stopped, it, it was very difficult to, because you feel you, first of all, you feel guilty. Like you're not working. Like I'm supposed to be at work. I've been at work every single day for the last 25 years. Like, why am I staying home? Like, uh, this is weird. And, um, I wound up, I mean, I didn't just like retire, retire and not go sit on the beach. I had another job, which consumed a lot of time, which kind of helped me transition. Um, but then I got tired of doing that too, but it's just so tough. And that's why you see the old guys, you know, the Charlie Whittinghams, the Vanbergs and the Woody Stevens and the Mac Millers. And they, they, they don't walk away. They, they usually get, get carted out and, uh, I mean, that's how they want to go, because what else, like you said, what else do they have to do? What What are you going to do with your time? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I used to like with Lucas, like especially I remember in the, early, the late 80s, early 90s, people would say, oh, he's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's not he's not a trainer. And I'd be like, no, the dude knows his stuff. It's not like he doesn't. Just because he keeps the shed row so immaculate that I would eat off that floor of that shed row did not mean that he didn't know what he was doing. He was he was shrewd. And every and you know what he did really well, Andy. He he knew how to to um, <clears throat> he knew how to hire the right people. Yeah, and he knew how to delegate the authority. Yeah, and I was working for him, and uh, this is the lineup he had. Mark Henning had just gone on his own, and we were at Belmont. Jeff was the assistant. Todd was the the second assistant that would travel all the time. George Weaver was there. Dallas yeah. Stewart was in Kentucky. 
Uh, Bobby Barnett was in Oklahoma. So they had they had horses some other place. Um, Kieran McLaughlin. I mean, it was just you know he he was very very adept at, at hiring the right people and and delegating the power and and he kind of he standardized his, his operation they, they all kind of trained the same they all kind of ate the same they all and he was really the first guy to do that yeah on a national scale with good horses now vanberg was all over the place in the midwest had a bunch of different divisions but there was a lot of cheap horses and we're talking axe urban and, and, and some of the smaller tracks but lucas was the first guy to go coast to coast and have divisions in different places and yeah. uh the the hard boots and the old guys they look down on him i mean people forget now because he's kind of the you know he's the old guy he's the legend and he's done he did so much that people forget in in the 80s for example the woody stevens and him had a had a real rivalry and they did not like each other um you know nick zito and 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 and, and wayne weren't always always you know close uh baffert and wayne weren't were not always close and they and so trained at los alamitos which yeah. boggled the mind because they were both quarter horse guys right right but they were but they were friends with schwannabel right you know? but uh you know there's a lot of ego wayne wayne would you know wayne is one of the first people to ever admit that you know, he's got a gigantic ego. He always oh. did, and he, he wasn't shy about it. Wayne had, when I was working for him, this is this is back in the early 90s, early, early 90s, he had a a a, um, a trailer that would go all across the country that was full of his suits. <laughs> True story. He, he, would, he would go to the sales when he, yeah, he had, he had a trailer and, and he had a, a, a bunch of suits and they weren't they weren't off the rack there's a story you know? for you caitlin if you ever get a Dwayne lucas horse at, at turfway or at churchill oh about, about the suits yeah. i'm gonna have to ask him i'm gonna ask him about it because i've had a couple conversations with him in the paddock so i'll have to ask him next time i see him oh man he, he had a rolls royce he had a, a he had a big gigantic farm in oklahoma Oh yeah, I mean, like a huge farm in Oklahoma, and they used to break all the horses out there and do all the stuff. And I've, um, I've, he had a plane or a part of a plane. It was, it was. I mean, they, he 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 not only he, he not only. Uh, I mean, he lived that role, right? I mean, he played that role very very well. And uh, um, I, I I didn't work for him for long, a few months, but I was fortunate to have gotten to see the inner workings of the organization and. Uh, uh, you know, just the, the methodical um, planning. Everything was planned out from the tack room to the blacksmith to the training to the feeding to everything had a plan, had a schedule. Even, and, and that just wasn't how racing, even in big outfits, was back then. It was Caitlin, still yeah. a lot different. Caitlin, Caitlin, I kid you not. He would, he would literally... If a groom or a hot walker did not clean up properly, do the chicken scratch correctly, had one piece of hair, one footprint in the shed row, he would make you do the entire thing over again at San Anita. I love it. I love it. And I wish more people were that and way. I, I mean, still remember him 
ripping me a new one when I walked through a Shedra one day and he just let me have it because I accidentally stepped on the chicken scratch the wrong way. And you know how he got Chuck, you know, you know how mad he gets. Uh, <laughs> I I would be at Belmont. We'd it'd be five o'clock in the morning and Jeff would be on the phone and and, and, and Wayne would be in California. So it's two o'clock in the morning in California. Yeah, and and, he, and he's up. He's and up. I honestly, I honestly think part of part of the reason why the barn went down after in, in right about the mid nineties was because of Jeff, because of what oh, happened to Jeff. Absolutely, because Jeff was his right hand man. Like everything the, with Jeff. When Jeff got hurt, I remember I was at Goldstream Park. Um, I think I was working for Tom Skiffington when I when I when that happened. And we heard about it, and it was, you know, obviously we weren't aware of how bad it really was. And, uh, but that really changed the course of history in horse racing. And, and you might think that's, that's a little bit, um, you know, maybe that's a, a little too bold of a statement, but Jeff was Todd Pletcher's boss. Yeah. And Todd stepped into that, that role when Jeff obviously was unable to do that. A lot of the horses that Todd got um, when he went on his own, I don't know that he would have gotten them had Jeff still been training. Uh, you know, and Jeff claimed that he was going to stay with his dad. I don't know that his dad wouldn't have shoved him out at some point. You know? Yeah. But um, Jeff Lucas was a really, really good trainer. He was a he great was, He was very, very, very sharp. Um, and he... he he wasn't outgoing like his dad. I mean, he was a different personality, but he he saw everything. And but, he would, uh, we would, you know, sometimes we'd try to take a shortcut in the barn or you know, not, not, you know, just nothing with the horses, just maybe not sweeping up outside or something like that. He would catch them every time. Chuck, why, why didn't those guys sweep that? Shit, how, did these guys, how does this guy see it, you know, the, the back of his head? But, um, but Jeff getting hurt really changed the course of racing history because I'm not saying that Todd Pletcher wouldn't be successful. Todd Pletcher would be successful no matter what. He definitely would have been a big success regardless because he's a, a, a really smart guy um, who's you know a great horseman as well. But his path was, was made a little easier because Jeff wasn't there to um, – Jeff wasn't there anymore, and uh, it's uh, it's one of those sad stories, you know, kind of a what if, because Jeff was a really really good horse. Caitlin, you would have been you would have marveled it, marveled about Jeff, and um, I remember the day it happened because you could hear his head hit the hit the walking ring. It was so it was so bad. This was from Tabasco Cat, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. I was at Jude Feld, and you could hear it all the way from Jude's part when he when he got hit. And I was just like, "Damn, that was bad." I hope it was any nobody. I hope nobody got hurt. And then everybody started like, "It's Lucas, it's Lucas," and everybody thought it was Wayne, and then realized it was Jeff. And that was we thought we it was touch and go for so long, man. It was it was bad. So thanks for ending on a downer there. Mr. Chuck, 
Okay, no, we'll end on a high one. All right. Chuck, when Come you on, were Caleb, there, bail me out. When you were at Lucas's, who yes. was the best horse in the barn there? Uh, at the time you were there. Well, in the East Coast, we had uh, my, one of my first jobs working for Wayne Lucas was I had to oh, walk yeah. the horse named Mountain Cat. Heard this one. <laughs> Mountain Cat was the first crop of Storm Cat. And he <laughs> back then there was a bonus for two year olds that won all the major Kentucky two year old races. Um, and I, I don't even remember what the order they went in, but I think the first one was they used to have the race on Derby Day. Uh, remember, remember, Andy was the what, WHAS was yeah, two year yeah, old, was like the first two year old stake of the year was on Derby Day. Yeah, it was like and then, what, um, furlongs, right? Yes, and then there was another one that later in the meet. Then there was a race at Ellis, and then there was a race in the fall at uh, at Turfway when Turfway had the, the September meets. They had that Kentucky Cup thing. So mm-hmm. if you won all four of those, you got like a million dollar bonus. So he had won the first three, and he he shipped the Belmont because he, uh, Wayne wanted him with Jeff because he had to. I guess there was a little time in between, or maybe it was the Keeneland the futurity something like that it, it was it was a fall race so um jeff was like this horse is really he's really mean he's nasty you got to walk him every day i'm like oh great he goes i don't want him out of stall without you he goes in the afternoon you have to come back and walk him every day too i'm like because you're the only one that's allowed to be you know I said, all right great super so the horse was a complete maniac and tried to kill him every single time and you but, said it was um, mountain cat mountain cat was his name yeah and i th- I think he won it. I think he 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 was the first really good storm cat. Um, but we had a filly named Light Light, and uh-huh. uh, she won the Mother Goose. Uh, and Dance Floor was was kind of our top three year old. MC Hammer. Uh, MC Hammer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still have a win photo of Salt Lake. We had Phil uh, called him Salt Lake. That's the Overbrook uh, Farms horse. That yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fast horse. Yeah. Um, but, um, I still have the I still have the wind picture from the Chula Vista with uh, Vio Vin beating uh, Light Light when Hollendorfer had her. Yeah. And uh, in the background of the wind picture, you see Light, you see MC Hammer's entourage looking like they just lost a puppy. One of the funny one, one of the I'm telling you, one of the best races ever was. The mother goose when Meadow Star and, and, and Light Light dueled down the wire and uh, Light Light got her by a head and MC Hammer took off his shirt and started swinging it mm-hmm. in, the, in the paddock seats at Belmont Park and man, all those crusty white people, they were about having a heart attack. <laughs> but, <laughs> was it what was it Meadow Star um... Carl Icon? Yeah. Leroy Carl. Jolly. Yeah. Uh, MC Hammer told Leroy Jolly, you're, "You're the only white person I ever met named Leroy." <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I was I was terrified of Leroy Jolly. <clears throat> Leroy Jolly was like had the meanest kind of. He he just he just was a person. You know, there's there's people like you just know don't approach. He just mm-hmm. had that look about him, you know, and like he never was. So he never smiled, and I remember I was a kid. I was I was afraid of Leroy Jolly. He had Gulch, and he had a lot of good horses. People yeah. forget Leroy Jolly did a light beer commercial when That's he right. had the Foolish Pleasure and and Genuine Risk, and 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 I mean, he had a really he had a lot of really good horses, really good horses. And then you know people stop. Older guys horses. know that these younger 
Fox Stowe. Oh. No, he had a light beer commercial, like a, a national commercial, like when Miller Light Beer was the biggest commercial thing, I, I, I mean, going. On Madison Avenue, light beer from Miller commercials were the top of the top. And uh, who, what is it? Uh, yeah. I know MC Hammer did a, God, I can't think of the video, but I know Jerry Hollendorfer is in one of his videos. <laughs> so I, I think if you named all the people involved with horse racing, all the trainers ever who would be least likely to be in a rap video would be Hector Hollendorfer. But he was. But he was. That's the funny but he part. Was. That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, it just racing just felt a little more fun back then. Yeah, just a little. It just was a little more my horses versus your horses kind of thing, and it wasn't the same people winning over and over and over. It just was. I, I remember you, you knows back in, in the nineties, there'd be fifteen trainers that could go into the Saratoga meet or the Belmont fall meet. Um, or the Belmont Spring meet and, and be the leading trainer if everything went right. Because yeah, nobody same, had 250 horses. And it just Anita. was so much more competitive. Same thing as Santa Anita. Yeah. Now the backside feels so um, so so slanted that um, it, it just feels like one segment has got everything and everybody else has got scraps. And, and it's just... Uh, you can't help but get that feeling because it's the same four or five people winning all the races. And and it's not that they're bad people or they're, they don't do a good job. It's just that it just gets old, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> all Anyways. right, guys. It's 9 o'clock where you're at. It's 8 o'clock where I'm at. Um, I have appreciated you guys coming on. We love listening to you guys every day, every week. Um, even though I'm a week behind, um, I know Caitlin brings you up. Pro Caitlin and I probably bring you up during our podcast. What maybe once or twice during the during our podcast with whoever we have on, with whatever they say, because they're so brilliant. Well, we thank you. You can yeah. you can even give us some, Caitlin can give me a nickname. Yeah. No, I gotta think. But you guys are awesome. You guys are great. Um, and like I said, Chuck, I, I have way too much respect for you to call you anything other than Chuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, you know what, Andy, I don't care. You call me whatever you want. You're my man. I, it don't matter. We're all good. <laughs> and Barry, man, congratulations. It's uh, thank you. It's awesome to see your trajectory. And Caitlin, too, um, honestly. I'm so proud of you, Caitlin. Where we started, like in all honesty, where we started a year and a half ago, like a year, 15 months ago to now. I mean, different places for everybody, and it's awesome. Don't forget us when you guys are big stars and you got your 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 star on the Hollywood Boulevard there. Don't forget oh. to invite us. We'll be at the oh. we'll be at, we'll be there with you. You know what's gonna end up happening, Chuck, is Barry and Caitlin are gonna have their own show together. Probably. I think that would be incredible. <laughs> probably, probably, probably I'm on, down. I'm down. Probably be on NBC Sports. Yeah, they, they'll replace Tara and Johnny Weir. That's right. Caitlin will be the the new baseball announcer, and Barry will do the football. And I have to say, we probably dress better. We, we probably dress better than them already. So I like oh. you better than Chris Collinsworth. 
tell you that much. Between Caitlin's boots and uh, and my wide array of Adidas, I think we got it covered. <laughs> Fashion. Hey, I'll, tell, I'll tell you one thing I love that I think needs to continue is the bandana. <laughs> I got to convince some tracks to let me do it. That is awesome, man. I, I kid you not. It's a different look than everybody else has, and it's your look. Yeah, yeah. And I got, I got every color you want, you can imagine. I got if I, I've got a couple of, uh, I got a Houston Dynamo and a Houston Dash one, and I got a U.S. Outlaws one. I might just send it to you. There you go. I'll wear it. There you go. All right, you guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys.